Hello and welcome to the next episode of Driz Done Right, a podcast that is in no way saying that R.A. Salvatore did Driz wrong, but rather we are saying that we are attempting to make a podcast about Driz the right way. That's what that's all about. <laughs> My name is Justin, and in this episode, we'll be diving deep into chapter 24 of Homeland, titled To Know Our Enemies, discussing all of our favorite plot points, characters, and more. Hey, this is Jeffrey, and since we're fans of Dungeons & Dragons, we're going to take a look at this chapter and how it relates to the tabletop game by delving into the dungeon. Following along with the show is easy. Just grab a copy of the book, read the next chapter, and tune in every week. But remember, we, we want to hear your thoughts, too. You can share those with us via email at drizdunright at gmail.com. Or, better yet, we do have that dim light squad. And if you're still asking what that is, well, I'm not sure why you haven't taken the quest to find out. But True. there's still time, because unlike Menzo Berenson, we welcome visitors from everywhere. The link is in the episode description. Just hop onto our Discord and go beyond the page. I wanted to take a moment to thank all of you who are listening on Pocket Casts. You've just taken over second place on our episode downloads. We love Crazy. to see our audience growing from all different platforms. If you can't find us somewhere that they have podcasts, just let us know. Maybe at that email that Justin just mentioned. And we'll plant our flag there as well. Remember, we're also on YouTube, so if you want to have a laugh at our expense or see the beautiful people <laughs> behind these voices, come on in and tune in. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> speaking of YouTube, every once in a while we'll get a comment. Not many. A couple of them are bots, I'm pretty sure. But uh, I just wanted to dim light one comment that we got from BTacket2. Hey, bots are people too. No, no, they're not. No, they're not. I'm sorry. Uh, he commented on episode 20 when uh, Drizzt first goes to the surface uh, for the raid. Uh, we were talking uh, on the show about how Drizzt had the belief, or Drow rather, had the belief that their magic and enchantments didn't work on the surface. Uh, now, I didn't go back and listen to our conversation, but I could be totally like making up what we talked about. But I, I remember feeling like the fear that the drow had of losing their magic on the surface probably wasn't really supported with any real evidence, but rather stemmed from their hate of the the horrible surface world. Uh, like, I mean, they only went to the surface, I mean, they only go to the surface maybe once every few decades, they said, right? Like 20 or 30 years. Um, so they could have easily created these misconceptions like that. Anyway, um, B-Tacket2 commented on episode 20 saying that if he remembered correctly, in the second edition of D&D, Drow enchantments broke down in the sunlight very quickly. This would create a very interesting flow of magic items through a campaign. Like, imagine you have a party exploring through the Underdark, they return with this overpowered magical item, or items, uh, but they soon... <laughs> As soon as they step out into the sunlight, their enchanted drow scimitar that they found degrades to dust, much like Tom Holland in Infinity War. <laughs> Sorry if you haven't watched it yet. It's, what, probably Spoiler alert. <laughs> five years old at this point? Oh, so... it's got to be older than that, I think. Uh, I don't know. Around there, right around there. <laughs> so, uh, Jeffrey and I were a little late to the D&D party. Uh, I mean, we started playing soon after 5e came out. But I love hearing these insights from the earlier editions. So if anyone picks up on anything from these books that are explained better through the context of these earlier editions of D&D, let us hear them. Jeffrey, what have you been up to lately? Well, 
been watching some TV. I've uh, been interacting on socials. I just actually ran into a guy from uh, the Power Slap League. Have the you Power you heard Slap. about this at all? I don't. Not by its name. Uh, I mean, so I'm a big UFC fan. Oh, I like watching no. fights. No, yeah. not the and, thing where they slap each yep. other. So, oh, UFC, no. so you know, I go on there under the Robert and Robbins radio from the podcast, the video podcast I do, and, okay. and they're, they're just tearing it apart, right? These guys are like, oh, if you slap first, then you always win. It's just not true, right? I don't fight. I've never watched a fight. I might eventually, but I just never watched the slap league. But I do know that that's not true. So I go on the online, I'm telling the guys like, well, imagine just jumping in here and being completely wrong about what you do because you want to make a comment, right? So he jumps back, says something. I just bumped down. I was like, what I'm talking about is people who have no idea what they're talking about, commenting okay. like they're you know, an authoritarian figure on the sub. And so well, one of the guys from the Power Slam reached out to me. <laughs> yeah. And he likes my post. And he's like, hey, man, uh, I want to send you some merch. I was like, huh. What? So high five to uh, the bearded mullet uh, on, on Instagram. That's his name. Uh, and yeah, I was like, that's really cool, man. I've never really had uh, too many people who, I guess it's celebrity at some level, obviously far more than I am and, uh, reach out to me and, and have a positive <laughs> response. Cause you know, I'm defending the guy inadvertently, but because right. I'm just really, I hate people who, who sound like they're in a, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, a master on a subject they know nothing right. about. Yeah. Yep. You know, yep. like, uh, what Socrates used to say when, uh, you know, wanted to find the most intelligent person in the world and rock, uh, <laughs> artists think they're the most intelligent, yep. but they don't, they blame it on a muse, you know, but architects think they're intelligent, but they're really just good at architecture. It's like when people have a, a expounded opinion without any right. basis to back it up, it just kind of, yeah, you know, I got a jab at them. Yep. So yep. that was fun. Uh, it was nice. <laughs> I got to see you this week, play a little bit of a board game. Oh, circumstances right. could have been better but seeing you the homemade pizzas man yeah that that stone you got in the gr in the grill oh, were man. fantastic I, gotta, the pizza I, was great. I mean you know you know but i just i i need to let listeners know as well just if you have not made your own pizza dough and grilled it on a pizza stone in a grill you haven't had good pizza i mean yeah, you're missing out <laughs> it's really easy to do it's a lot of fun when you're having people over you just put a bunch of toppings in the middle of the table People can make their own pizzas. You throw it in the grill and just turn up the grill as hot as you can with the pizza stone in there, and it's phenomenal. I mean, the, the pizza takes three to five minutes to cook, depending on the day. You know, if you try to do it in the winter, it's not going to cook as quickly. But, yeah, three to five minutes, you have a pizza, and it's And, you know, really it reminds easy. me of, uh, for the people who are listening, it reminds me almost of a brick oven pizza, essentially. Except right, you're yeah. doing it in a, in a much smaller thing, so you get the you get the crust that gets a little little charred to it, and gets that chewy flavor yep. or chewy yep. flavor, the chewy texture. texture. <laughs> and it was great. Uh, for those who are wondering, we played Pandemic, the Legacy the edition, the Legacy version. Yeah. I love that because then every time you play it, it changes. And yep. for you know us and our family, we love playing games together, yep. uh, D and D, board games, just yep. about anything, you know, and. To have a game that changes as you play it is a really cool concept. Yeah, also, absolutely. it's co-op. So I'm a bit competitive. <laughs> uh, I have Diablo 4. going to go play that, Slash Monsters in a little bit. I am extremely competitive. So whatever I play, I'm usually looking for a way like just to flip a tile and beat somebody, right? Yep. It's nice to be able to take that away and just enjoy playing together in co-op mode. You're working with each other to beat the game rather than yep. each other. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It allows me to be a lot less intense with the people I'm playing with because I'll tell you if we strap on the Monopoly gloves, somebody's catching a gauntlet. Oh man, like in real life. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's the game that makes you hate everybody. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a number of games like that that I've played and it's just like, you know what? I can't play those anymore. <laughs> 
They're friendship breakers. Monopoly's one of them. Uh, Munchkin, the card game, was another one. I don't know if you've ever played that. It's I did. Sort of like, I did. It, yeah, it's sort of like D and D, but it's like making fun of it and everything. And that one, that one's a fun one. But yeah, that was uh, definitely a highlight of my week. Getting to have pizza and play uh, board games with you and Elizabeth and Sarah. So that was that was a lot of fun. So. And for those not uh, located in the northeast of the United States, uh, it's been a hot one the last couple oh, of days. Man. So I am thankfully. Down in my subterranean basement, a little cooler, ready to record, ready to dive on into the insights. Yeah, let's go ahead and get right into this. Beautiful, beautiful. I bet that our loyal listeners thought that we're going to jump right in to the drizzle of it. But we come up on our final insight check of the book. This is where we roll insight and walk inside the mind of Drizzt himself. Drizzt reflects on Zach Nefane. Names him mentor, teacher, friend. He recognizes that at times, Drizzt was unable to see him in any of those roles. I mean, perhaps he expected too much. The line between them was razor thin. If circumstances had been altered, well, then Drizzt may have grown up to be just like Zach, buried under the daily assault of the wickedness that is Menzo Berenson and the pervading evil that was his family. I love that line, by the way. Mm-hmm. When he puts that in there, it just kind of like sinks it, you know, like right into the to the emotion and the meat of that. Like, oh, yeah. Pervading evil that was his family. Zach Nefane's existence may have provided Drizzt with an example to learn from, grow from. I find it interesting that he says, truth, though, is nothing in the face of self-falsehood. And principles are of no value if the idealist cannot live up to his own standards. What do you what, what do you think this means, Justin? <laughs> I saw this question in your notes, Jeffrey, and I had <laughs> I, I read that quote and I was like, I have no freaking clue what that means. I had to go back and I, I brought up the uh, the book, the uh, actual like Kindle book on my phone here, right. and uh, I needed the first half of this paragraph to really try to start to understand this. Uh, the first half of the paragraph says, "Is this course I have chosen a better way than the life Zachnafane knew?" I think yes, though I find despair often enough sometimes to long for the uh, for that other way. It would have been easier. And then it goes into truth, though, is nothing in the face of self-falsehood and principles are of no value if the idealist cannot live up to his own standards. And without looking at your response to this too much, it's totally a jab at Zachnafane, yep. living living a life of lies. He's claiming to be claiming to be someone that he's not. Um, he's this idealist, but he's not able to live up to his own standards because he turns into this drow going around killing other other drow and just, you know, not... I don't know. I don't know. It's There's so much in that quote, Jeffrey. <laughs> yeah. No, and I feel like... <clears throat> I, I do. I feel like he's taking a shot at Zagnafane here. I mean, maybe he means that Zach is unable to live up to his own ideals, which makes his truth meaningless because his actions speak louder than his words. You know, yep. I almost, I think that Drizzt is trying to say that his choice, Drizzt's choice is better because he chooses to live by his ethos, no matter the consequences. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the, I thought that was pretty slick. Oh yeah. Drizzt lives with many laments, but none stronger than the loss of Zachnafe. There is no pain greater than this, not the cut of a jagged edged dagger, nor the fire of a dragon's breath. Nothing burns in your heart like the emptiness of losing something, someone. 
before you truly have learned of its value. Often now I lift my cup up in a futile toast, an apology to ears that cannot hear, to Zach, the one who inspired my courage. That's that's hauntingly beautiful. Oh yeah. And at this moment, I really feel that like Drizzt is a like a mirror reflection of Zach when he would brood on the balcony, looking out at the city, but seeing the deeds that he lamented, like, you know, a thousand yard stare where he sees the mushroom grove, but what he's really seeing is the butchering of the, the children of the nobles in the, in the closet or the right. screams of the, the innocent drow that he has taken the lives of in the, you know, under the guise of being trapped in his role as weapon right. master and such. Now, do you think that's like the final straw for Drizzt as far as like, I mean, I I feel like I'm a broken record because I keep going back to the same concept of just like Zach, Driz, talk to each other. Like, you're on the same page. Like, <laughs> you you you're basically the same person. But is it the fact for Driz? Is it the fact that Zach that he knows that Zach went on to kill? Well, he didn't kill like young Drow, but he kills clerics at least. I don't know. Well, we don't like, know that he's ever going on to kill the children, but he feels responsible for their murder and their that's screams true, that's because true. of the ones yeah. he's trained. Right. But I think it's almost like, and to me, I mean, if you really wanted to paint it with a basic brush, I guess, or generalize, it's, it's like a teenager growing up with their parents, right? You look at what they tell you and they're like, this is how you live a, a productive okay. life. And you're like, well, no. I mean, it's right or wrong. There's no gray area. Uh, right. You know, you're such a sellout because you don't do what you say. And they, you know, they're, hey, do as I say, not as I do, because they understand you know what? Life is a lot of gray area. It's not yep. as easy as go to work, cash a check, come home, be successful. Or, you know, it's not as easy as wake up, protect family, live happily. There's so much that goes into every decision, every choice, every every moment, really. And, mm -hmm. you know, like getting into the multiverse, right? There's so much that could just branch off in a billion directions that really you're just trying to survive the night and, and help out those you love as much as possible, no matter the, the toll and cost to you. And I think Zach sees that. But I think Drizzt is on the other end, where to him, he can still be naive and think oh, that, you know, I see. hey, okay, yeah. you don't have to do that. You know, and, you know, right. look, there's, there's, what, 30 some odd more books. So <laughs> I'm not saying Drizzt is wrong. He will grow into accept a different view and, you know, continue to evolve himself. I just think that this, at least to this point, is almost like Drizzt looking at it and seeing, you know, he doesn't know Zach is his parent, but to look at it and say that this authoritarian figure has made far too many compromises to really be who he seems to be. How dare he judge me and, you know, make fun of me and mock me when I'm doing exactly what he wants to do. Right. You know, it's it. with, a, with a broad brush. <laughs> <laughs> so now yeah. that, okay. No, I was just going to say, like, what an awesome letter from drizzt and yeah. what this is the last one i don't know if there's one at the very end of the book or not yeah, i was gonna but... say I, I believe this is our last insight check i say that we might run into another one and you guys can all hold me accountable shoot the email <laughs> drizzt, drizzt done right at gmail.com go ahead I, I i can take it got big shoulders you can see it on the youtube <laughs> no so it's just just a great a great letter from drizzt and i'm excited to jump into uh chapter or rather the uh, second book and read more of those, but hopefully there's one at the end of the book. I don't know. Oh, and again, makes sense for those it, but. who are listening, we did talk about the fact that we will be moving forward, maybe trying out a different type of pacing. 
So right. want to make sure, again, we mention that out. When you hear this episode, come on into the Discord. Go into the general discussion. I put something mm -hmm. up there today. I wanted to make sure, you know, how you all feel about the, the pacing, going part by part instead of chapter by chapter, trying to take right. a quicker look at the entire book so we can churn through more of the material, but not exactly. give you any less of an actual episode. Yeah, it would, be, it would be really nice to be able to do more than two books in a year. Yes. Because <laughs> like, ideally... I, I want to read like, these, you know? Yep, I want to get I put through that, these. I put that in a discussion post. I said, we would like to finish the entire Drizzt series before we collect our pension. <laughs> <laughs> you know, before I start getting discounts at the buffet because of my age, I just right. want to make sure we get through some of these books. And I think that <laughs> our something. listening base would enjoy it as well. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Okay. So, do you know what it is now? I think it's time to jump into the Drizzt. Now, we get to the Drizzt. This is the part of the show where we take a look at this week's chapter and give you the Drizzt of it. We find ourselves with Breeza as she recounts the Gnome Olympics. Trademark, that's mine, can't take it. Gnome Olympics. Darn it. <laughs> <laughs> She's recounting the scores to Matron Malice, and it turns out that it's a clear victory with the Dark, or, uh, dark Elves scoring almost 40 Gnomes. They said almost two score. I had to do a quick math lookup. It's 20 per score, so almost 40 gnomes. Okay, gotcha. And the Spurf Nebly tallying a mere eight drow. Eight? That's still, yep. that's eight. They're okay that's not that? even a quarter of them. Yeah. And they only stand half as high as the drow. So if we were measuring by metric unit, I mean, the drow still come out ahead. Yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Matron Malice cuts to the chase and really only cares about how Stowerden fared. And Breeza lets her know that Deenan fearlessly slew eight as he led the main assault. But Drizzt? Not a single one. Not one. And, like, to that, how does she, how does she react? Ooh. Malice, <laughs> Malice is like a steaming tea kettle at that point. She's about to lose her patience. But, but Breeza still has this wicked little smile on her face. She and, knows you know, as she sees Malice having no fun in this at all, she quickly puts out and says, The day belonged to Drizzt. He defeated an Earth Elemental all alone. Almost. With only minor help from a wizard. Confirmation came from a high priestess, and Malice gasped and turned away, demanding that Breeza gather her sisters and meet in the chapel. Malice doesn't care about the gnomes. She only sought a way to parlay Drist's heroics into gain for House DeWerden. Mm -hmm. Surely, with this favor, Loth will tell her who is behind the threat to their great house. Sacred incense burned in the chapel from a, holy, uh, from a bowl of the deepest onyx. Sweet. Death-like. Favored by the Yachal. I do like the way you pronounce it, so I'm going to hit that every time I can. <laughs> The flame disappeared as it was consumed by the image of a yahlal, a half-melted pile of wax with grotesquely elongated eyes and a drooping mouth. It demanded to know who had summoned it. Justin, when I read this, it, it just struck me. Do you think that Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast was a yahlal? Well, because, I mean, you know, he's a candlestick, and the description might fit it if you consider that on the lower planes, life is probably a little bit more rough than a Disney film. Probably. I might have to rewatch that movie with that in mind and just think, like, whenever we don't see Lumiere on screen, he's actually, like, 
serving Loth in the abyss yep. and just like see how that changes the movie for me. And behind the scenes credit, I totally butchered that candlestick's name. Justin <laughs> was the one who came on in and let me know it's Lumiere because I I did not. I, I, I killed it. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Matron Malice, she stands forward. She has summoned the Yachlal, which immediately disappears. Poof. Oh, off he goes. Or she. Probably she. Uh, and that's that, yeah, no, right? Yeah, good point. <laughs> And that's, no, no, that's not where the chapter ends, because then it reappears full-sized behind her and lays two sickly tentacles on her shoulders. Uh, like, I could just picture the slime. Yep. Just it, like oh. the wax just, like, melting oh, over no. her shoulder and then recombining. And <laughs> Malice didn't flinch, though, for she was confident. Malice explains that she wants to ask a question, but the Yachlal says she already knows the answer. She demands an answer, and the handmaiden replies, if the answer is so important, and it is known to the handmaidens, and thus to the Spider Queen, do you not believe that Lolth would have given it to you if she so chose? And she says, maybe before this day, but now things have changed on this day. Suddenly the Yachlal's eyes roll back into its head. Oof. Could it get any more terrifying, Justin? I mean, That's, it's a melted pile of wax, and you're telling me the elongated eyes now roll into it? Uh. Those, thing, those things are so creepy. Those things mm -hmm. are so creepy. Like, I want to see a dance-off between a yachlal and a, and a mind flayer. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That would be interesting. That would be interesting. Do you, th do you Two think... Two nightmare do you, images. Do you think that a, a mind flayer <laughs> would actually dance, or would it just, like, mentally dance? And it, like, I don't know, like... I imagine that its tentacles from its mouth would be like Squidward. Like, <laughs> That's how it would dance. The voice that came forth was overly smooth and calm. Matron Malice greeted the Spider Queen. Apparently, she was right in her confidence. Oh, here we go. <laughs> go ahead. You can do it. <laughs> Dermin and the Shazbernin has pleased Lulf, Handmaiden said. The males of your house have won the day, even above the females that journeyed with them. Wow. I must... Over the females. Yeah. That doesn't happen very often in this society. No. <laughs> I must accept Matron Malice de Worden's summons. Malice explains that she only asks for an answer to a simple question, to which the Yachal replied in a mocking tone, because it's serving as the medium to the Spider Queen, mm -hmm. that it revealed... It already knew the question. Or, yeah, it already knew the question she was going to ask. Oh, right, yeah, she, yeah, yeah. She demands the name of the house which seeks to destroy House de Worden. But the Spider Queen does not give answers to questions that are already known. Love that. M Malice <laughs> rages. Someone in the family must be keeping a secret from her. Breeza rations that, you know, maybe the one hiding the information doesn't know that they're hiding it. They quickly reasoned that it must be one of the stupid males who have missed the importance of a minor detail. Drizden and Deenan return a short while later and are greeted with sarcasm from Zagnafane. The hero has returned. Deenan brussels at being dismissed, but Zach only wants to talk to Drizzt. He slaps Deenan twice in the face with one hand when Deenan tries to stand up for himself. And Deenan suddenly found the other hand holding a dagger at his neck. Crazy. Right? Spluttering, like that word, spluttering, he takes his leave. Like, up, 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 up. Oh, get, be gone. 
Bye. Zack laughs as Drizzt tells him he's made an enemy. He's made many. Zack lavishes praise on Drizzt for killing the Earth Elemental. And this hits Drizzt in his feelings, and he implies that maybe Zack is jealous of his deeds. Zack snorts in laughter and tells the sniveling young boy that his mother awaits. There will be time for their meeting in the gym later. I love this because it's it's kind of like a tete-a-tete, right? Where they're already just yep. verbally sparring. And they're like, ah, ching, ching, yeah. ching. Yep. Like, you know, hey, uh, you know, I'll meet you with sharp swords later, punk. Yep. <laughs> the snap of a whip changes the scene and brings Drizzt out of his contemplation. He's coming up in a hallway and he hears the whip crack out and Risen mm-hmm. is being inspired. Oh, man, you used that wording too. Darn it. Yes, sir. <laughs> Shout out to when you used it earlier. Had to do a callback. <laughs> By which I mean, you know, interrogated by Breeza. From the hallway, <laughs> Drizzt hears Breeza confirm that Risen isn't his father, nor is he Vierna's. Risen tries to lash out with insults and threats. He will expose Breeza and her ambitions to matron malice, to which Breeza laughs. All eldest daughters have the same ambition. Drizzt wonders if Breeza might go too far and actually kill Risen. He kind of wants to jump in, but... Mm, holds himself back yeah, yeah. yep <laughs> well he wanted to jump in and kill both of them is what he was saying <laughs> in another room on the other side of menzo berenson another interrogation was going on this time massage is on the receiving end he defends his actions to matron Sinefe. he attacked drizzt he would have finished him if not for the monster he promised that his will that he will get him before the 10th cycle of narvindel as commanded Cinefe grudgingly accepts her son's reasoning and lets him leave. But, in a plot twist, Alton is waiting. Love that. He's heard everything, and Matron Cinefe explains that Massage is not getting a second chance anymore than she's going to give Alton a second chance. So you know what? Alton is going to follow him and keep him safe. He's going to finish this deed, or he's going to lose his life. Back to Drizzt, he's under question with far less inspiration than, than Risen had taken so far. Well, he Dean did... And- he did uh, get, like, a, a slap to the face or something. Yeah, but he was point. not getting uh, snake whipped. Correct. Like, correct Risen yeah. was in it was in mid wapap, and at the end, we'll, we'll dive into that, but at the end, he was getting more than a simple tap-tap here and there. Yeah. <laughs> so, Deenan actually tries to pipe in, but he's quickly silenced. Again, it's twice in this chapter. Yeah. Nobody really wants to hear from Deenan. Drizzt tried to recall all of the minor details they wanted as, as he heard the snap of the snake whip on Deenan's back. I liked that they explained that Deenan, like, once he piped in, realized he was going to get hit, and so he just arched his back, like, eh, well, all right, I know I'm getting whipped. Go ahead, do it. Yeah. <laughs> and a name came to Drizzt's lips. Massage. The hesitation. The lightning bolt. It was too perfect. The mm-hmm. fifth house must be the one who had designs for House DeWerden. Deenan tried to reason, you know, maybe it was jealousy over Gwenevar that prompted Massage, but nope. Trist was certain now that Massage tried to kill him. Yep. And now DeWerden, House DeWerden knows is House Annette. Hence the name of the chapter, whatever it was. Know that enemy? <laughs> to, to, know, to know your enemy. That's what it was. Yeah. I was like, I know it's related to it, but I couldn't remember the exact wording. Awesome. So many good things happening in here, even though it's just a lot of conversation and everything. You know, there's no yeah. fighting gnomes. There's no uh, earth elementals. There's no, um, 
yeah, any surface raids or anything like that. But I'm not gonna lie, so we did have to do a little bit of digging to make sure we found some dungeon delving. But I mean, nah, this chapter is essentially like a lore dump, right? Like, I mean, oh, yeah. in, in some of my favorite D and D episodes. There's not a whole lot of action that takes place. It's yep. more the actual role playing, you know, people yeah. being their persona and getting through so you can understand what's going on, what happened, what's going to happen next. Like, I feel like this chapter is really just pushing the first domino. You know, oh, like yeah. all the other chapters have set up these dominoes in this intricate pattern. Yep. And now it's like somebody licks their hand, again, explaining for the people who can't see me on YouTube, and just. <laughs> <laughs> little tap and watching it you can see it there goes the domino but we don't know if it hits the next one yet like, oh, oh man oh, i'm sure it will anyway all right awesome drizzed let's get into our favorite parts of the chapter in the dim light reel The dim light reel is where we cast darkness on our favorite parts of the chapter and dim light all of our favorite characters, events, descriptions, and more. And my dim light this week is House Hanette Revealed. And so I saw like the end of your drizzed was of the drizzed was relatively short, and I was like, oh, that's perfect, because I'm gonna get right into that. So a few episodes ago, I remember asking you whether House Dorden knew that House Hanette was planning the attack on House Dorden, or if, like, I thought earlier on that they figured that out, but no, they didn't. <laughs> this is the chapter. So, uh, so, of course, they didn't know, because they just found out now. Uh, so, I absolutely loved the combination of scenes that led to this discovery. First, we had the clerics of House Dorden summoning the Handmaiden of Loth, only to find out that someone in the house already knew, and... What? Quote... The Spider Queen does not give an answer to that, to that that is already known. To, oh, sorry. I, this is a quote here, so I, I tried to quote it. I totally butchered it. <laughs> the, the Spider Queen does not give an answer that is already known. Uh, Malice ended that scene with, I do not enjoy being embarrassed, which I just loved that quote, just ending that scene. And I mean, it just got me thinking, does anyone actually enjoy being embarrassed i mean i i, I, I couldn't so. <laughs> i couldn't think of any like personal story of mine where i was embarrassed and i was like oh that was really cool i'd love to do that again uh so i can only imagine that a matron mother would really not enjoy being embarrassed usually when we get embarrassed we like try to hide and like get away and everything but i just imagine like she was fuming <laughs> and just like yeah just very different from us normal people being embarrassed yeah, you gotta imagine she has some really high blood pressure. You know, like she probably gotta take a couple of things to lower that down because she just goes off at. Uh, she has a very quick yep. fuse. Yep, she's uh, anger in the Inside Out. She movie. is definitely what is it like uh, a Real Housewife of Atlanta? She is flipping tables. You know, she's throwing things against the wall. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the second scene that led to the discovery of House Hanette, uh, to House Hanette's intentions, is really what I wanted to dim light though. Uh, the brutal females of House Dewarden were beating and whipping Deenan and Drizzt, giving them, like you said, inspiration on their history yeah. checks. Uh, so just hearing his brother getting whipped inspired Drizzt enough to connect some of the puzzle pieces and realize that Massage's lightning bolt could, have, could not have possibly been meant for the Earth Elemental, but no doubt had Drizzt's name all over it. 
Yeah. Uh, so the the clerics were quick to acknowledge that House that House Hanet is the enemy, but Deenan was also quick to say perhaps not. And I love how Salvatore mentions here that there was a long pause after Deenan said that uh, because he was wondering himself. Like Deenan was wondering why he said it. Like if he would have just kept his mouth shut, the whipping would stop. <laughs> like, yeah, that's like very much the Drizzt thing, right? To do. Is to just well, randomly insert a well, question that, like, you shouldn't be asking. Like, but, De- but Deenan said that. Right. I'm saying, like, it's very much a Drizzt oh, thing. Oh, yeah, Normally, yeah, Drizzt right. is like, should we parlay? Maybe we right. shouldn't attack. And Deenan's like, stupid. Don't ask but Don't ask dumb yeah. questions. And then in yeah. the middle of what you know, even Drizzt knows, don't right. ask dumb questions at this point. Right? He's learned yeah. that. And Deenan's the one who's like, hey, by the way, you know what? Hold on. Let me take the shirt off. Go ahead. Go ahead. Whip me again. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> But he opened his mouth, so he needed to speak his mind. Like, uh, Matron Malice is just like, speak! <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> oh, darn it, here we go. Uh, so his reasoning for Massage trying to kill Drizzt is, well, a lot of people want to kill Drizzt because they're jealous of him. And that reasoning Truth. really just is not enough for Matron Malice, though. Um, Deenan kept trying to convince them otherwise. I guess he was worried that if they were wrong, the unsuspecting attackers would have an even larger advantage, right? Well, that, um, and, you know, again, if you lash out incorrectly, if you're right. already in disfavor of the Spider that, Queen, mm, it's going to make it worse. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, uh, Matron Malice says, the Yahal that uh, said that one of us knows the identity of the enemy. All we have is Driz's tale of massage, unless you are hiding something. And that final statement, oh my word, it just obliterated any argument that Deenan could have made, he just slumped back in the shadows. He, he doesn't have any any other possible no. houses, right? Like, Drizzt gave them something, right. and they're just, like, latching on to House Hanet. They're, yeah, it's House Hanet. It can't I be really, anyone else. I kind of admire how quickly Malice shuts down the argument, right? Because Deenan's yeah. like, hey, look, just to play, uh, you know, devil's advocate on the side, do we know what? And she's like, yes. Are you hiding something? He's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, no, not me. Well, then shut up. so between massage being sent back with Halton following and DeWordens the uh, DeWordens starting to plot against House Hanet the fact that uh, we only have and with the fact that we only have five chapters left to go you really start to get the sense that something big is about to happen and I'm like it's like domino we're almost again yeah going back to the domino or we're almost at the peak of this mountain here and we're about to just like crash down you know it's like, like you're on a really big roller coaster and everything else has been the yep. clack 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 as you climb the track but you know you can see your car you're up pretty yep. high Ooh, it's gonna be a ride <laughs> so <laughs> excited so that's my dim light for this week jeffrey what do we what do you have for us this week uh for me i decided to call mine my dim light for this week risen tells the truth Oh, man. <laughs> For my dim light reel, I wanted to look at, you know, what might not have come across as a big moment in the chapter, but which is certainly one of the most impactful for Drizzt. Mm. Matron Malice is on a warpath trying to figure out who has hidden information from her, information about who was trying to destroy House DeWerton. Information Loth said was already known to her family. And Drizzt, he rounds a corner and suddenly hears the sound of a whip. I am your patron. Risen said from the chamber. Riza retorted, <laughs> That's of no consequence. They were faced off against each other, but Risen was unarmed and Riza brandished her vicious whip. 
Patron, she laughed. <laughs> a meaningless title. You are a male, lending your seed to the matron and of no more importance. Here, we see Risen has a bit of a spine. He's trying to stand yeah. up for himself against Brisa in this interrogation. Up to this point, he's kind of been portrayed as a bit of a wet blanket. True. But here, he, you know, he's at least trying to stand up for himself. Four, I have sired, Risen said indignantly. Three, Brisa corrected, <laughs> as she snapped her whip to drive the point home. Vierna is Zachnafane's, not yours. Nalfine is dead, leaving only two. One of those is female and above you. Only Deenan is truly under your rank. Man. In the chapter, we see Drizzt sink back against the wall. We knew for a long time that Risen was not the father of Drizzt. We right. know that he's been practicing against his father the whole time. Justin has been begging for them to talk. <laughs> you know, we know that he's been like an angsty teen and rebelling against his actual father. But Drizzt did not know that until just now. He suspected that Risen, wasn't his that Risen wasn't his father, but to hear it out loud without Risen denying it, well, it, it really sinks at home. This is exactly why I wanted to dim light it, because this has to shake Drizzt's world to its very core. Yeah, totally. I mean, this is the moment of the book where all of Drizzt's views are suddenly cemented. He sought after the truth of who he is, of why he's different than all of those around him. And now he finds out that his true father is Zachnafane. And, you know, I've got to think that, you know, in a way, it kind of all makes sense to him. That this moment is like a gong going off in his head and just shaking him to his core, forcing him to reevaluate everything that he's ever known or that he's thought he's known, at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Risen fumbled about for some retort to Breeze's stinging words. Does Matron Malice know of your desires? Does she know that her eldest daughter seeks her title? Brisa just laughed at him. <laughs> Every eldest daughter seeks the title of Matron Mother. Matron Malice would be a fool to suspect otherwise. I assure you that she is not. Nor am I. I will get that title from her when she is weak with age. She knows and accepts this as fact. Risen again, showing off his fortitude as he refuses to crumble under the weight of Breeze's interrogation. Instead, he tries to some, find some type of leverage against her to force her to stop since, you know, using his perceived station failed miserably at the beginning. Hearing her lay out the drow playbook like this, though, takes him a little bit by surprise. You, you admit that you will kill her? If not I, then Vierna. If not Vierna, then Maya. It is our way, stupid male. It is the word of Lolf. Risen is thoroughly outplayed and beaten here. Breeza has taken away any leg that his authority could possibly give him to stand on. However, instead of accepting this fate, Risen snarls back at her defiantly, almost like he's just trying to draw blood, you know, mm -hmm. uh, verbally. Yeah. Because he feels hurt. So you know what? going to hurt you too. Breeza will not wait for age to steal her mother's power. Not when a dagger will expedite the transfer. Breeza hungers for the throne of the house. The, the rest of his words kind of came out as indecipherable screams, though, as right. Breeza lashed out at his insolence over and over again with her six-headed snake whip. Man, you had like two dim lights in one there. I mean, the, the reveal that Zack is Driz's dad, to Driz, that is. Like, we knew yeah. that Zack, but... Um, <clears throat> and then the <laughs> what I was actually... Cons another thing that I was considering for my dim light... The fact, like, we had, I know it came up 
a few episodes ago, a number of episodes ago now, where we weren't sure how drow houses really started. Um, like one matron Secession mother, like, and such, yeah. Right, exactly. And it's like, oh, the matron mother eventually gets killed by one of her own daughters. Yeah. And then I, I guess it's the old, the eldest that gets to move up. I would assume, like, if Maya kills Matron Malice, Maya's not the eldest. It would be Brisa still, unless Maya also kills Brisa. And what is Vierna the youngest or Maya? I forget. Maya is the youngest. I think Vierna's Maya's in the middle. Yeah, so Maya would have to kill both of her sisters. I would assume, but it's yeah, it's yeah. kind of showing again just one of those ongoing themes of just how brutal the Drow culture is, just how backwards and upside down they are yeah and you know it's crazy because like again she doesn't flinch when she says it she doesn't try to backpedal she doesn't she owns it she's like look right. this is what we do and the fact that you yeah. don't know it makes you dumb yeah crazy awesome though awesome all right <clears throat> that'll do it for the dim light reel uh what do you say jeffrey ready to go dungeon delving got my backpack on let's roll <laughs> let's go Here we go into the Dungeon Delve. It's the part of the show where we link this chapter with our favorite tabletop RPG. Uh, as I said earlier, we play 5e, but always welcome insight from those that play older versions of the game. I'm very interested in them. I wish I had more time to actually try them out. But anyway, yeah, if you ever see anything that is um, anything from these books that would... Um, that are easily like the context of the game gets into these books here. We would love to hear about those. Uh, so make sure you let us know about those. So uh, I know a couple episodes ago we had an earth elemental and I didn't really, we, we had other things that we wanted to talk about. So here I want to highlight this earth elemental that was again, referred to within this chapter. Uh, <clears throat> so, Let's see. As I said before, the elementals can be found on page 120, 123 of the Monster Manual. And they are described as being incarnations of the elements that make up the universe and come in four flavors. Air, earth, fire, and water. Of mm, course, Which is your favorite flavor? You know what? <laughs> For our Spotify listeners, we actually have the ability to put up whole... Uh, questions inside of it. And one of the things we're going to go ahead and do is put up a poll. What is your favorite flavor of elemental? Air, <laughs> earth, fire, water. That way you guys can vote and we can get a little bit of interaction and see how you like. Love it. Perfect. Great idea, Jeffrey. <laughs> uh, so, of course, if you under understand anything about modern science, you know that air, earth, and water are actually made of more than just one element. And fire isn't actually an element at all. It's not even matter. It's energy. Uh, so, <clears throat> but back in Greek times, some people thought that these four concepts were the four base elements, uh, that made up everything. So luckily, uh, luckily they did think this because now we have awesome things like Avatar, the, uh, the last airbender, we have Captain Planet <laughs> and we have the elementals in D and D. Oh, Shout out to the Greeks, the originators of cosplay, though, because they had a Medusa. They had a guy dressed up as a bull with a minotaur. They had all right? kinds of really cool things that must have somehow led to the D&D &D that we play. Because you know what? Monster creation is amazing for the Greeks. A, a lot of it. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, Greek mythology in D&D. &D. It's really cool. Uh, Jeffrey, are you familiar with Captain Planet? 
Yes, yes, okay. I am. I watched okay. quite a bit of it. Okay, awesome. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Captain Planet, he's our hero. Gonna bring pollution down to zero. Yes, I am. And, and what you're missing in the elements is heart, by the way. Oh, well, that's what summon I... <laughs> Captain Planet. I was gonna Boom! say the same thing. <laughs> Oh, man. It's been so long since I watched that. I was going to join in on the song with you, but I knew that due to the timing, uh, the lag in the <laughs> internet, it would have it would have sounded horrible, so I didn't even try. <laughs> I found that out when me and Bobby tried to do the Goonie Oath together. <laughs> it was bad, bro. I mean, loved it. Bad in a good way, but ooh, oh, the it timing. sounded so bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you live and you learn. <laughs> So that's where the, uh, so page uh, 123 is in the monster manual is where you can find the elementals. But I actually wanted to jump into the dungeon master guide real quick. On page 57, there's an awesome visual of the elemental planes. Um, And that, you know, the elemental planes are the home of the elementals. But the elemental planes consist of those four planes, air, fire, water, and earth. And they are all encircling the material plane. And the idea is that the material plane is where all of the elements are mixing together. And that's why you have all of them in in the material plane, right? Uh Uh, You also have an interesting effect where the elements combine with other elements that are not in the material plane, like along their borders. And uh, yeah, I mean, if you have the... If you look up elemental planes on Google, you'll find the image I'm looking for and you'll see what I'm talking about. So along, for instance, along the water and air border, there's a plane of ice called Frostfell along the water. That's where uh, those, uh, the frost, oh, what were they called? We did a, we did a creature feature on them. The frost bugs, they, they, they tried to oh, summon um, Alden and Massage. They come from that plane, shoot. as a matter of fact, because we mentioned the I- it. <clears throat> the ice devils, the ice That's devils. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and then, well, also along the water and earth border, there's a mud plane called the Plane of Ooze. Is that where the Ninja Turtles went in number two? Oh, oh no, no, that was the that was the secret of the ooze. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, water and fire are on opposite sides of the material plane from each other, so they don't border each other because they're opposites. Um, right. So. Um, Knowing that there are planes of, like, ice and mud, like, could you have an ice elemental or a mud elemental? I like... That'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah, some homebrew stuff there. Hey, if there's Absolutely. anything like that out there, let us know. Uh, so, anyway, back to the... That's the, the, just a little bit of, like, uh, universe creation there. I know I use that a little bit in my, um, in my own um, homebrew campaign. Um, also, like, and something I didn't mention is, like, down at the material plane, there's two little shadow worlds, shadow realms. Well, the one is the shadow fell or shadow shadow realms or something like that. The other one is the Feywilds, which some people might have heard of. Uh, so they're like all part of that as well. So using those elemental planes for your own universe creation, is it's a lot of fun. Uh, but anyway, back to the monster manual. Elementals are described as living elements. That have no desires other than to course through the element of its native plane. So if a rock elemental wants to just kind of flow through the rocks, it's basically all they do. They don't have a society. They don't have culture. They don't really, they have a very small sense of being. So, I mean, it's kind of, kind of a bland life, really. So Um, essentially they just, 
enjoy like diving up to above the surface and then below it in and out i i, I think they like, just like when like a dolphin breaks the waves you know they're just i jumping. don't even There's know way they... more to dolphins than that don't get me wrong <laughs> but like breaching from the water to water the air elementals <laughs> i mean yeah they're just kind of existing within their own yeah, according to douglas adams they definitely well might be hitchhiker's <laughs> guide to the galaxy thanks for the fish <laughs> Uh, so as we saw a couple chapters ago, elementals can be summoned, uh, using magic, but summoners must assert force on it. Otherwise the elemental would just run rampant. I mean, I imagine, I would imagine that either the element, the elemental would start just killing indiscriminately, uh, without, without being like. You know, yeah, just really running amok. Forced, right, without being, like, forced by their summoner. Uh, or they would try to, like, run away and recombine with its native element in an attempt to return to its its plane. So, uh, all elementals in 5e have a challenge rating of 5, but that's about where the similarities stop. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to focus on Earth elementals at this point. So Earth elementals have 126 HP, and an armor class of 17. So they're pretty pretty tough to hit. Uh, and, they and they have a, a decent amount of HP to go along with that. Uh, <clears throat> they are vulnerable to thunder damage, which um, I know like when I was a young DM, thunder, <laughs> I was like, oh, that's electricity. <laughs> no, don't get that confused with lightning damage. Thunder damage is like sound, like uh, sound waves. Yeah, okay, like so shock. They're, yeah, so they're, they're vulnerable to that. And they're resistant to non-magical attacks like slashing, bludgeoning, um, piercing. They're they're resistant to that because they're rocks. They have a number of immunities like poison, exhaustion, paralysis, and more. But my favorite immunity has to be petrification. <laughs> nice. <laughs> they can't be turned into rock, right? <laughs> no more rock than they already are. Uh, they speak Terran which I thought was interesting. It's a language consisting of low, like, rumbles and deep tones that are used by beings of the Earth plane, which apparently are more than just Earth elementals. Uh, but, interesting. Yeah, but not... I couldn't find many examples online. Uh, Earth elementals have two abilities. They have Earth Glide, which allows the elemental to burrow through non-magical, unworked earth and stone without disturbing it, just like we saw with Gwen and Massage, when the earth elemental just, like, dove into the ground, and it was just like, there was no splash, there was no explosion, it just passed through it. It's interesting. Does that mean that, like, if you were <clears throat> tilling a field, they, they wouldn't, they would disturb it? Or if it was like, uh, you know, the, the worked stone on the stalagmite houses and Menzo Barons, and that they couldn't was... pass through that since it's worked, or that oh. they would disturb it? Well, I, I think the idea is they're able to move through undisturbed. Like, like you would think, like, um, well-tilled soil would be very easy to move through, right? And so, mm -hmm. like, they wouldn't have an issue with moving through it, but I just think, like, um, they're giving them an opportunity to pass through materials that are just, like, it's solid rock. It's not okay. gravel or something like that. Right. Um, I think that's what that's saying. <clears throat> Another ability that they have that I thought was really interesting was something called Siege Monster, which is an ability where the elementals deal double damage to objects and structures. 
So I could just like see, I can just imagine the armies of Mordor using earth elementals instead of like trebuchets to knock down the walls of Minas Tirith in Return of the King. Like nice. that just would have been so cool to watch. But I guess um, instead we got giant war elephants and the riders of Rohan. Yeah, yeah which is still pretty cool. But uh, I, I guess, teared up. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Sauron didn't uh, make his way to the. Uh, uh, earth plane and <laughs> or he didn't learn how to summon them whatever what an amateur <laughs> wizard he turned out to be i know right <laughs> all right so uh earth elementals they also have the ability to attack uh the only attack that they really know is slam which is an attack that has plus eight to hit it can deal 14 damage which you know that's not too bad and until you learn that they have multi-attack so they can do that twice so, you know, a maximum of 28 damage in one turn. Unless they, criti- unless they um, get a critical hit. <laughs> but, oh. you know, that's pretty unlikely. So, for Driz to be able to take one of these down uh, would definitely require him to have a few more levels than just one. You know, like, he would, <laughs> he would probably have to be at least level 5 or 6 to take this thing on alone, if not even higher. Um, yeah. But, yeah. So, Earth Elementals, that's my Dungeon Delve for this week. What do you have for us, Jeffrey? Well, I chose to go with a really obscure Dungeon Delve this week, and okay. you guys might have to, you know, go back through the chapter, try to find the mentions. It, it really uh, oh, barely yeah. mentioned in oh, this I entire book. I don't think they ever heard of this, but nope. we'll see. So, we'll my see. Dungeon Delve is the Spider Queen. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we're almost at the end of the book. I couldn't resist taking the opportunity to look at Lolth, the Spider Queen, as my dungeon delve. It's kind of amazing that we never did take a look at Lolf in the dungeon yeah. delve. And ironically, if you do try to go ahead and do a little research on her, it's just it's not the easiest thing to find as far as a breakdown of the stat blocks and everything. But what I'm about to go through, eepers. So she's been a part of the entire backdrop of this story. She is the queen of spiders, the queen of demon web pits, oh, the yep. most influential goddess of the drow within the pantheon of the dark Seldarine. Nice. Now, you might wonder what that is. The Dark Seldarine is the pantheon of drow gods. Nice. I like it. Interesting. She is a goddess of cold cruelty, not out of place in the darkest depths of the endless abyss. Reveling in betrayal and bloodshed. Her malevolence could be compared to the rage of the brutal orc deity, Grumsh. But where his fury was as mindlessly violent as a force of nature, her malice was complicated and deliberate. Hmm. Love the combination because I definitely know Grump. She's the one-eyed guy. It's gotcha. Cool. Yep, yep. She demands absolute fealty Whoop. and obedience from all drow. And she takes a vengeful notice if anyone abandons her fate. Loth disdained plainer beings less powerful than herself, viewing them as either pawns or foes. Those more powerful than her were met with contempt. She coveted the status of the most powerful beings and sought to ascend to their station through deception, betrayal, and murder. Her followers were mainly drow, but also Erinia, Chatin, Dragloths, and Deep Dragons, and even a few elven followers to whom she appeared as Moander, a deity of rot. Heavy infighting among her followers were meant to cull the weak. I found it kind of cool that there was she mentioned as a, the queen of rot to the elves because elves being very you know forest nature loving you know okay. surface dwellers, uh-huh. the queen of rot is just a natural cycle of uh, of death. Earth. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, just of the plants and the life. Yeah, of, right, of life yeah, itself. Just, yep. 
And so she still plays that evil deity, but it's just somehow seen differently to the elves because they wouldn't look at Lolth as the spider queen and be like, yay. However, right. Moander, the, the deity of, of rot, they're like, you know, trees do fall down, they rot, they get eaten. They it's get not a horrible thing. Like they decompose, not you use them as fertilizer and grow plants. And yeah, yeah, I mean, Lion King taught me it's all part of the circle of life. <laughs> <laughs> and now for the part you've all been waiting for, right? This is where I could find on her so it might be a little homebrew i blame dnd wiki forums <laughs> her armor class is 23 the hit Whoa, points... man <laughs> oh wait till you get through this one her hit points are 30 d20 plus 300 what in the world an I mean, average of 615 i guess she's a god right <laughs> yeah she has a speed of 60 feet and can also climb at 60 feet her stats are buffed as well. She gets a plus six to strength, plus 10 to dex, plus 10 to con, plus eight to intelligence, plus eight to wisdom, plus 10 to charisma. What in the Skills? world? Yeah. Skills. Take a deep breath. Plus 26 arcana, plus 24 athletics, plus 19 deception, plus 26 history, plus 17 insight, plus 26 perception, plus 20, uh, 19 persuasion, plus 26 religion, plus 19 stealth. Jeffrey, she's never failing a check ever. <laughs> not with those stats. What the heck? No, that's crazy. <laughs> and like, we're not done, but you can tell that she's truly a foe of immense status. I mean, she is the spider queen. She is the, the largest in the pantheon for the drow, right? So she's not going to be an earth elemental. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Her challenge rating shows a 30. Worth 155,000 experience. Oh, my word. Yep, She's damage resistant to fire and damage from spells. Mm -hmm. That's going to say, that's um, the challenge rating of 30. When you said that, it reminded me of a Tarrasque. That's also a challenge rating of 30. <laughs> Crazy. She is damage immune to acid, cold, lightning, poison, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical weapons. Oh, non-magical attacks. Sorry. Yeah. So, good luck. Yeah. Condition immunities to blinded, charmed, deafened, exhaustion, frightened, paralyzed, poisoned, and stunned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is this inspiring a sense of dread yet? Because it's really narrowing down what you're going to be able to do to her, and she's evidently a freaking tank. It's definitely inspiring my, ne my next D&D session. Ooh, I don't know <laughs> if I'm going to be in that one. <laughs> <laughs> 240 feet of blind sight, not dark vision. Wow. Blind sight. Blind sight. 240 feet of tremor sense and true sight. Oh, my word. Oh, and a passive perception of 36, just in case you thought sneaking around made sense. Oh, my word. She speaks, um, well, all languages, <laughs> and she's telepathic up to 120 feet. She wields six gargantuan-sized vorpal scimitars. The weapons... The weapons mm -hmm. are gargantuan. Yeah, well, she changes sizes, but yeah, the weapons that she carries in that, she has eight Insane. arms, or eight limbs. Yeah, well, yeah, because she would be big, and oh, that's crazy. She has cunning action. This allows her to dash, disengage, or hide as a bonus, uh, as a bonus action. Discorporation, when her hit points hit zero or she dies, her body and belongings are destroyed. Oh. But her essence travels back to her domain in the demon web pits, and she is unable to take physical form for a time. Hmm. She also has fear aura, 
Any creature hostile to Loth that starts its turn within 240 feet of her must make a DC save of 27. Wisdom. <laughs> Unless Loth is incapacitated. I don't think that happens very much. I don't think that does. <laughs> Failure results in the creature being frightened until its next turn, until the start of its next turn. However, success grants you immunity for 24 hours. Yep. But much like an infomercial. But wait, there's more. <laughs> She has improved critical. Her weapons crit at 19 and 20. Oh, man. She has innate spell casting. Her ability is wisdom. <clears throat> Her ability is wisdom. The spell save is a DC of 25. She has a plus 17 to hit with spell attacks. And she can cast innately the following spells with no required material components. <clears throat> Blink, charm person, detect thoughts, dancing lights, darkness, dimension door, bonus action for that one, dominate person, fairy fire, levitate, Mirror image, pass without a trace, polymorph, and web. Also a bonus action. Jeez. Intimidated yet? I've been intimidated once you said what her AC was, Jeffrey. <laughs> <clears throat> she also has legendary resistance. Oh, man. Works three times a day. If she fails a saving throw, well, she can choose to succeed instead. <laughs> what? <laughs> Limited magic immunity. She's immune to spells of sixth level or lower. I mean, it makes sense, though, because if you're rolling in there as a fifth-level wizard casting, right, she's got way too many stats for you to be in there. What you should, the You should run. You should run. <laughs> she's immune. In I found this really odd wording. Unless she chooses to be affected. Hmm. I don't know why she would, but hey, she has advantage on all other saving throws against spells. Hmm. Then, Mage Slayer. A creature provokes an opportunity attack when they cast a spell within her reach, which we've said is enormous. That creature has disadvantage on saving throws to maintain its concentration. Reactive, she can take one reaction on every turn in combat. Whoa. Warcaster, when a creature provokes an opportunity attack from Loth, she can choose to use a reaction to cast a spell that only targets that creature. She has an advantage on saving throws to maintain her concentration. Hmm. Web sense, which this totally makes sense. She knows when you're in her webs. Yep. Web Walker should go without saying she can move across webs without restriction because Spider Queen. Yep. And that's it, right? Yeah. No. Uh, no. Now we've got actions. Hang in there. Oh, jeez. Multi attack. Mm hmm. Okay. So two, two attacks. Nope. She can move. Nope. She makes what? six attacks. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> she can substitute any number of attacks to use her fling action. Wait till fling. I get to that. You're going to love this. Yep. A Vorpal Scimitar is a melee attack. It gets a plus 22 to hit. Reach of 15 feet. One target. It does 4d6 plus 13 damage. Slashing. Oh, damage is magical and it ignores the resistance to slashing damage. Oh my word. When Lolt attacks a creature that has at least one head and she rolls a 20, she then cuts off the one of the creature's head. Creature Wait. automatically dies if it cannot survive without the head. <laughs> the creature... Is immune to this effect if it's immune to slashing damage, doesn't have or need a head, or has legendary actions, or it's too big for its head to be cut off with this weapon. In this case, it just takes an extra 6d8 of slashing damage from the head. Jeez. Unarmed? Uh, melee, it's a plus 19 to hit, she's reach not, of 10 feet. She's never missing. <laughs> One target, it's a, a hit of 4d4 plus bludgeoning. She can grapple the target if it's if if she's in her large mode and it's smaller than her, or if it's smaller than her and she's in her true form. 
She has Bite. This is in spider form only. It's a plus 19 to hit, a reach of 5 feet. It gives you 1 D8, plus 10 piercing damage. And the target then has to make a DC 20 save, con saving throw, to take half damage. Oh my gosh. Yep. A fail is 2 D8 of damage. Beautiful. Here comes Fling. Okay. Lulv throws a creature she is grappling up to 200 feet away horizontally. Oh my word. In a direction of her choice. Creature making a DC 23 saving throw fails to take damage as if uh, it, the fail takes damage as if the distance she's, it's thrown okay. fell. Okay. So if you're thrown 200 feet, you take damage as if you had fallen 200 feet. Oh my word. And then if you're still alive, you fall prone. But rest assured, if you succeed, you only take half of that damage from falling and you don't go prone. But it's what? It's 1d6 bludgeoning every five for, feet for every 10 is it five feet or is or it 10, 10 feet? i think it's 10 feet i think and you know what it, you look you're not getting thrown 200 feet every time you where where you meet her is probably going to be a smaller thing but still that, that is brutal <laughs> uh, change shape this is where it comes to the different sizes of loath she magically polymorphs okay. into a medium female drow a tiny spider hmm. a large spider or back to her true form in spider or giant spider form, she does lose the Vorpal Scimitars, unarmed strike, and fling actions. So she's just biting. Now, she also gets legendary actions. Yep, still not done. Man. She can take three legendary actions, one at a time, and only at the end of another creature's turn. Yep. She regains spent legendary actions at the start of her turn. She can move, which allows her to move up to her speed. She can attack with, one scim uh, with the scimitar. Unarmed strike, bite, or fling. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or she can summon demons. This costs all three of the legendary actions. You summon two D4 Yachlal. Each appear in unoccupied spaces within 60 feet of Loth and act as her allies. They disappear with her uh, their, when their HP hits zero or Loth dismisses them. When she uses this, she then cannot use legendary actions again until all Yachlal are defeated or disappear. Holy cow. That was so much. Justin, how, how would you like to fight Loth? On her side. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, uh, dressed up as a yachlal? <laughs> no, I mean, just like... So you found this on D&D uh, &D Wiki? Or D&D &D yep. Beyond? Or D&D &D Wiki? Yeah, D&D &D Wiki forums. Okay. I would like to know if anyone has ever actually fought this... Stat block. Well, we had, I don't know about succeeded. this one. We definitely had somebody talk about the fact that there's a module to go into the demon web pits after. Well, Loth. right, and that was um, in AD and D, like the first edition. There were like six or seven modules all in a row, finishing with Loth at the very end. Which is like, if she looks anything like this, just imagine that going through six or seven modules just to get to Loth at the very end and then failing. That would yeah. just be like... No, oh. having read that stat block, I imagine failing is my best option. That's <laughs> <laughs> so wild. Uh, that would be like, really cool, though, to like, just like... And in this corner, Lolf. No, 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 no. Give me the dragon. I would like the giant dragon instead. One-on-one <laughs> -on -one combat. I would like to actually fight the dragon unarmed in melee combat instead of Lolf. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I, it would be really fun, though, probably. It would take forever. To just, like, get a group of five adventurers together, level them all up to 20, and attempt this, yeah, this attack. Yeah, I mean, and she's got to be 
you know, grand champed out, right? Because when you're max leveled, you're probably going to have all these cool magical items and effects and things, auras and stuff that that will boost right. your stats to just unrealistic numbers. And well, I mean, you're going to need those unrealistic numbers to 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 well, just to try to harm her, right? <laughs> to get. You know, I found it hidden. interesting <laughs> that it was like you know all of those damages you know she's immune to that are not magical, which means again, if you've got magical weapons, hey, let's right. get into some damage. Like maybe you've got these two two scimitars. Maybe maybe one is twinkle. One Maybe once icing death, you know, just throwing them out there and right. magical uh, equipment will do some damage to her. But you can't just walk in there with a dagger and be like, shank, shank, you like that? No, nope, she's going <laughs> to just laugh at you. Yeah, exactly. She's not Shelob. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, I, 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 I picture you, you've got to have a large group of, of adventurers maxed out and then yep. also have just a treasure hoard of the correct items with you. Yeah. Preparing to know exactly what you're going to deal with because you do not slaughter gods easily. No. Well, that's why they're gods, right? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, what a great episode we had here, Jeffrey. But that's going to do it for this episode. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember that if you like the show, give us a five-star rating. Hit those subscribe buttons uh, on the on YouTube. Leave us a comment. You know, um, just get in there and participate with us. Also, make sure that you are getting the most out of the show. Uh, pick up a copy of the book and read along with us. If you don't have time to read, get a copy of the audiobook and listen to it whenever, wherever you are. I mean, I almost always listen to the audiobook on my commute, but I'll tell you what, on hot days like this, I would much rather be listening to it in my hammock in the sun with a cold margarita in my hand. When you've read the next chapter, shoot us an email at drewstunright at gmail.com or log on to our Discord and join in on the ongoing discussion. Remember, we would love to hear from you. Oh my goodness. The end of the book is approaching quickly. I'm not sure I'm ready for it. Dear faithful listeners, I'm going to put a link up in the Discord channel for the D&D campaign that we mentioned. I need to get enough interest from people to pull it off. I'm not sure exactly the time frame yet, but I really wanted to do a one-shot campaign at the Grand Tournament of Melee Magnet. So, you know, when I have you guys go into the Discord link, that'll be in the episode description, like I mentioned before. Join the Dim Light Squad and look for the tab to join the DD camp. Let me know if you'd like to join, what your availability is day wise. Speaking of links, in this episode description, we do have one up that says support this podcast. And, you know, it's kind of a way for you to buy us a cup of coffee, a tankard of ale, or maybe one of those enchanted weapons. It's just my fun way of saying that all your donations go to the show so that we can increase our artwork, our outreach, and our equipment at a faster rate. For those of you who have stuck around with us and look forward to the episodes we've got coming down the pipe, until the next time you press play, say farewell, play fair, be well, friends.